The following talk was given by Bear Gokhan Bonabakar at Zen Mountain Monastery. Gokhan is a senior monastic at the monastery, where he serves as director of operations. He also oversees the monastery's burgeoning fruit orchard and helps run the National Buddhist Prison Sangha. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. So this Sangha, we're studying karma. I was thinking how this is a subject that I think a number of us, many of us maybe have kind of avoided or turned away from in our time of practice. I was remembering one of my early exposures to Buddhism. I was in a group and there was someone who was um, been practicing and um, was sort of talking about Buddhism. And, and he said, you know, karma, just like put it up on the shelf for later, like you can come back to it later. And yet it's really at the heart. We wouldn't be here otherwise. And so this talk started off being about karma. It's taken some other turns. But I did want to start um, with a a line that caught my eye in in Kyabgan Rinpoche's book about karma. He's putting karma and, and the Buddha's understanding of karma in some historical perspective. And says that the Buddha's, talks about the Buddha's revolutionary suggestion that we observe our body, our mind, our feelings, our thoughts, that we get to know how we work. Kyabgam Rinpoche says he basically suggested, the Buddha, very pragmatically, that we pay attention to ourselves, which until then had never really been talked about at all. (laughs) It's like, how could that be? That nobody had thought of that. And yet, if you look around, or think of your own, think of our own experience of ourselves, how revolutionary it is simply to pay attention to ourselves. And in a couple of pages, Kyabgan Rinpoche kind of lays out the path. Because this paying attention to ourselves is the way to see into our our nature, the nature of things. So I wanted to look at this a little bit. The Buddha gives his foundational teachings on looking at ourselves. In the Satipatthana Sutra, the four foundations of mindfulness, which I think is one of my favorite teachings. I go back to it over and over again and find that it, it, each time it offers something, I see something new. And this time in particular, I was kind of marveling at how much it describes our practice, this original teaching, this 2,500-year-old teaching. And we talk about that. Sometimes in beginning instruction, Hojin Sensei says, you know, this is what the Buddha did. And sometimes I've been kind of like, Really? 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 So how do we take up this practice of mindfulness, of paying attention to ourselves? The Buddha says, here, here, a practitioner gone to the forest or to the root of a tree or to an empty hut, gone to a solitary place, like your seat here in the zendo. They sit down, having folded their legs crosswise, 
set their body erect, and established mindfulness in front of them. Ever mindful, they breathe in. Mindful, they breathe out. Abiding in mindfulness, the Buddha says that we should contemplate the body as a body. Contemplate feelings as feelings, mind as mind, and mind objects as mind objects. Ardent, fully aware and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. So in these four mindfulness, mindfulnesses, he's saying, pay attention to the whole of our experience. So I want to look some today at, at mindfulness of the body and of feelings. The Buddha starts with mindfulness of the body. When we give zazen instruction, we start with the body, the posture, simple, direct. In the Buddha's teachings, there are options, different ways that we experience the body, different ways to establish mindfulness of the body, bring mindfulness to the body. Sometimes we breathe in short, Sometimes we breathe in long. Sometimes we're standing. Sometimes we're walking. Sometimes we're lying down. Sometimes we're sitting. Each of these are opportunities, moments in which we are alive and present in our life, in our body. The moment our direct experience is available. The Buddha says sometimes we may just be aware of the body and the body. Can we trust that simple, direct practice, that that's good practice? Just being present in the body. Other times, mindfulness of the body may bring some insight, maybe into the impermanence of the body, maybe into the relationship with the body and the mind, or the body and the mind different? Where does your body begin and end? Maybe we see how identified we are with our body. Are you your body? These teachings of the Buddha on mindfulness are often presented as being systematic, Kyabkan Rinpoche talks about them as systematic, a systematic meditation of observing. As I was reading these teachings, I was wondering that. I can imagine that in some schools and some practices it is systematic. You go through different parts of the body, maybe. But in these different ways to practice mindfulness of the body, do we choose them? Now I'm going to breathe in short and knowing that I'm, and know that I'm breathing in short. Now I'm going to breathe in long and know that I'm breathing in long. Now I'm going to breathe experiencing the whole body. Now I'm going to abide contemplating the body and the nature of its arising. Or is it that sometimes our breath is short? And so when our breath is short, we know that our breath is short. 
Sometimes our attention is in our hara. And so we can know that our attention is in our hara. Because Zazen is alive. How often do we get stuck wanting it to be a particular way? And what do we find when we bring our awareness to the body? When I take my seat in the morning, first thing, I first bring my awareness to my body. I've been doing that, feeling the different parts of my body, relaxing tension, relaxing my face, my shoulders. And some mornings realizing, where is my attention? Where am I? I'm not in my body. Bringing mindfulness to my body has been showing me that. How often is that the case? Helping me to see my mind. So I was working on this. I was appreciating our training, all the different ways that we are encouraged, offered to bring our awareness to our body, to be in our body. The Buddha said, when extending your arm, know that you're extending your arm. When breathing in short, know that you're breathing in short. When we bow, we practice knowing that we're bowing. Walking kinhin, to know that you're walking kinhin. Arranging my robe, to know that I'm arranging my robe. And what is this knowing? What is this knowing? It's not something that we need to explain to ourselves. As I arrange my robe, I might say, oh, I'm arranging my robe. I'd be aware in that way. And there's just arranging my robe. There's always an invitation to explore that. What is this knowing? to explore for ourselves continually. And the Buddha taught about the mindfulness of feelings, sensation. The Sanskrit is Vedana. And this means the the sensation to like, dislike, or neutral. And so he says, when feeling a pleasant feeling, know that you're feeling a pleasant feeling. When feeling an unpleasant feeling, understanding, I'm feeling an unpleasant feeling. And I've been, always been, kind of been interested in this section, in this teaching on feeling, and because I think that in the teaching it really, it's just this immediate response that we have when we have contact with something of like, dislike, want, don't want. And so is this the feelings? as we usually talk about feelings, so we usually think about feelings, is it that all of our feelings really come from this like, dislike, want, not want? Is that basically all of what samsara is? Shugen Roshi, I've heard him a couple of times recently talking about samsara and how exhausting it is. And 
kind of having a question about that. Just what is he pointing to? How is it exhausting in our own experience, in my own experience? Well, there is this constant, I like, I don't like. Do I want this? Do I like this? I want this. I must get this. I don't like this. I don't want to feel this. I don't want to talk to them. Last time I did, it didn't feel good. I'm afraid of that. I don't want to feel that again. That takes a lot of energy. And can we see how much that's happening, how much we're doing that, how much energy that takes? And this is karma. All of these habitual reactions that we have. This is what practice is about. Practicing karma is unraveling, loosening all of those attachments and habits that have been created through cause and effect, causes and conditions. That's why we can loosen them. In one of my recent talks, I mentioned another question that Shugan had been asking, that I had been hearing Shugan ask, which was, how is it helpful to realize the emptiness of things? And after that talk, Sean said, you know, that was a good talk, but did you answer that question? It's helpful because it helps us to loosen our attachments. I've been kind of looking at it from the other side. When is it that I'm fixing something, seeing something as more solid than it is, as having the independent, inherent, enduring existence that the teachings say all things are empty of? And I think it's any time that I am Grasping, wanting, craving, not wanting, trying to get away from. Any time that I'm feeling fear or irritation or avoiding something, which if I'm honest, it's happening a lot. So one recent example I was working with was being on lunch crew and worrying that there isn't going to be time for my nap. And just seeing the worry, sometimes that morphs into some irritation, into hurrying, and then believing my annoyance, my worry, my anxiety. Notice how I call it mine, identify it as mine. And so wondering, well, what what is it that I'm responding to that I'm getting upset about? Is my impatience and worry real? Is it solid and enduring? What's happening as I get worried in my worry? What's happening? And I've been noticing in myself and in others the sort of entitlement that we can have of our annoyance, upset, or our desire 
because I'm upset, you should listen to me. You should do something to fix this. It's important because I'm upset or because I really want this, I should get it. I want it more than you. But so my worry, it's not solid and enduring. It's not real in the way that I think it is. Right, I can test that. When I just focus on washing the dishes, I'm not worried anymore. And I've learned when I can feel myself get into a hurry, I can relax. I can release. (coughs) If I notice, if I choose to. Gyabgan Rinpoche says, the more we pay attention to our thoughts and feelings, the closer we come to the establishment of vipassana meditation, which means insight meditation. So in Sashin, particularly in Sashin, when we're sitting so much, developing concentration, deepening our concentration, we can see what arises and passes away. Here's a pleasant thought, something that is pleasurable. It comes up, I get caught up in it, it feels good, I perpetuate it for a while. And eventually, I let it go, or it passes. It loses its power. And I return to stability. Maybe some irritation arises. Maybe it comes from a sound, which leads to a thought, some judgment, a whole story. And I'm irritated. Maybe that feels good in a way. I follow that for a while, get to feel right. And then it passes away. I let it go. I bring myself back, return to stability. These constant waves, even from the slightest causes, right? Just a thought, just a sound. It's like these are just pebbles in the stream, but the waves carry us around. In the Tibetan Mahamudra tradition, there's a practice of consciously bringing up a, a strong thought. So just so cr- bringing it up purposely. It can be either a pleasurable thought or an unpleasurable thought. But something that has some power for us. And so to consciously bring it up and to feel what happens, to feel its effect, to feel it in our body-mind. And then consciously to let it go and let that drain out of us. And then to bring it up again, and to feel it in our body-mind. And then to let it go, and feel it pass away. So that it's obvious that we're creating it. That we just created it. We just called it up, and we let it go. So that we can see its nature, See that that's always the case. Sometimes we can see that in Zazen. Sometimes as a thought arises, as we start to get caught up, we can see what's happening. 
be aware of that and let it go, return. It's harder to see in more complex situations, to be inside enough to see, to wonder what's happening, to pay attention. But this is mindfulness of feelings. The things we get so worked up about, they don't exist in the way that we think that they exist. So we don't need to get so worked up about them. And we learn about this in this safe, simple, quiet, still place of zazen. So that we can know that that is always the nature. Kyabram Rinpoche again, he says, a narrow meditative focus may help with our concentration, but it will not avail us of any information, and so will not give us any insight. On the other hand, if we follow through and observe the interconnections unfolding, we will notice our sensory perceptions are impacting our thinking patterns and our feelings and emotions, and that all these things are mutually co-influencing each other. So this is getting to know how we work and getting to know cause and effect. And I think this kind of tension in our practice, in a zazen, in meditation practice, is important to pay attention to. The concentration, so he says a narrow meditative focus, the concentration, the calming, in the Buddhist teachings and mindfulness of on the body, one of his instructions is, I shall breathe in, tranquilizing the body formation. I shall breathe out, tranquilizing the body formation. Calming body and mind. So helpful. Concentration is so helpful, so important to develop concentration continually. And that the insight, he's reminding us, is from seeing our thoughts and feelings, not from cutting them off, ignoring them. And as Kyabram Rinpoche emphasizes, there is making connections. So zazen is not contemplative, it's not thinking. And we make connections, we see things. We should pay attention. We can trust our practice and just keep returning to our practice. But not to shut anything out, not to ignore what we are seeing. All of these different things are happening, even as we just engage our zazen. I was thinking how simple these instructions seem mindfulness instructions, these foundational instructions from the Buddha, how simple zazen is. Sometimes when I give instruction in zazen, I wonder, you know, how, how are people hearing this? Like all of this, I'm like offering incense, I'm in my robes, and I'm just telling them to follow their breath, count their breath. But again, appreciating how much is actually happening. It is simple. And there are all these other ways of paying attention, bringing bringing ourselves to our experience. 
And there's a way into which karma, the teaching of karma, is also very simple, just cause and effect. Just action. And it's complicated. Kyabgram Rinpoche says we can't understand it completely. We shouldn't try to understand it completely. There's this mystery to practice. We don't always know we're not wholly in control. We don't know when we're going to let go, when we're going to hold on. We can't always see what's happening, the transformation that's happening. And there is understanding. And letting go, an attachment, letting go of attachment, seeing that we can do that. I think it's been since the beginning of COVID that we've been chanting the four measurables every morning. These practices and the last one, equanimity, has kind of caught my attention. I've been reflecting on what is this equanimity? It seems to be where practice leads. I remembered a couple of stories about equanimity, masters on the subway. One was from Harada Roshi, he's a Japanese teacher. I did a session with him a few years ago. He told a story about meeting his teacher. He was very young. He was a, sounded like really he was a boy. He'd been sent on an errand during rush hour on the subway. And he was just taking it in, looking around at all of the adults harried, hurried, sweating, anxious, just a swirl. And there was this one man who was not affected by any of it, who was calm. And Harada Roshi said, he wanted to know about that. Who was this? What was that? And another story that I remember hearing about an, an Aikido master I haven't done Aikido, but I've watched it some here. It's a martial art where my understanding is that it's just, it's about redirecting energy. And so when someone comes at you, attacks you, it's just redirecting that energy rather than meeting it or trying to counter it, trying to match it. And so the story was about this Aikido master who showed up for class one morning and said, I think someone tried to assault me on the subway. So embodied that he wasn't even sure. So what is this equanimity? It's not indifference. The other book that we're looking at raises some questions about equanimity. But it's not indifference, it's not passive. It's not not noticing, it's not not caring. It's balance, it's not being tossed around by like and dislike, by praise and blame. In the Satipatthana Sutra, the Buddha says, having established mindfulness, one abides independent 
not clinging to anything. This is equanimity. The Buddha says, praise and blame, gain and loss, pleasure and sorrow, come and go like the wind. To be happy, be like a great tree in the midst of them all. Now, I think trees have feelings. They feel, they feel pain. They want to thrive. But they move very slowly. So they're not tossed and turned the way we are. They offer us that. We can lean on them and learn from them. Our teachers offer us this. So many times I went into see Dida Roshi crying and upset. And he took me in, he met me, and he was not upset. Not moved by my upset. Sometimes he didn't even see interest, seem interested. And he was offering me that. It wasn't that he didn't care. Sometimes talking to Shugen Roshi, I realize how quickly I'm talking and kind of feel the energy in what I'm, in the way that I'm talking. And can feel how he is not getting excited. And it just, it makes me wonder, what am I so excited about? What am I worked up about? What am I invested in? We move so quickly, react so quickly to so much. We can slow down. Thich Nhat Hanh, for his order of monastics, has revised the, or, or really his monastics, his senior monastics, have revised the monastic code, so taking the original code um, that, the monast- that the Buddhist monastics lived by, and, and brought it, modernized it. I read that a while ago. And one of, one of the sort of minor rules is that a monastic should never be in a hurry. I've been just using that, noticing it when I'm in a hurry to just, what's going on? What's happening? We can practice equanimity. We can cultivate it. But it's not just a state of mind. It's returning to stability, understanding of how things are. So, let's appreciate what we're in the midst of. The teachings, this time that we have to be silent, to slow down, to see clearly. Let's practice wholeheartedly, sincerely. Thanks so much for listening. To find out more about the monastery's programs, weekend retreats, and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org.